Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Beerspa, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Uh, this weekend, we will pick up where we left off last time in our sermon series from the book of Exodus. God miraculously delivered the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt, but He didn't transport them instantly from Egypt to the Promised Land. Instead of leading them on the shortest possible route, God deliberately led them on a longer route that involved going through the wilderness. When you use the help of a travel agent, you would hope that your travel agent values your time, your convenience, and offers you an itinerary that will take you to your destination in the shortest possible time. And nobody wants detours, long layovers, a tedious journey that takes its toll. You want to reach your final destination as quickly as you can. A few years ago, my wife was traveling to India and asked me to book a flight ticket for her. And when you're traveling on a budget, you take the cheapest option, which meant that this was, her itinerary looked like this. From Calgary to Montreal, Montreal to Doha, Qatar, Doha, Qatar to Kolkata, India, stay overnight in Kolkata and catch the flight the next day to the city in Northeast India where she comes from. And she had to do that at the time with two of our kids aged four and two. It's a miracle my wife still loves me. <laughs> and nobody likes long, arduous journeys. Now, if God were to be a travel agent, he will run out of business pretty soon. His itinerary doesn't take you to your destination in the shortest time possible. He doesn't lead you in a straight line. Our journey is often a zigzag as we walk through this wilderness of life. At the same time, keep in mind that God doesn't lead us in a haphazard manner. It's never pointless. It's always to teach us something. The wilderness is intended to shape us and mold us and teach us lessons we will learn no other way. Now, when we read about God leading His people, the Israelites in the wilderness, we can glean many lessons for our lives today. The last time we looked at God as our healer. The wilderness journey may be hard, but we have the comforting presence of God who walks with us as our healer and heals us in the various domains of our life. Today, I want to talk to you about God as our provider. Throughout this journey, in the midst of the ups and downs, the mountains and valleys, whatever your course in life may look like, here is a promise from God. That God will not leave us on our own to fend for ourselves. God doesn't say we have to manage life's challenges in our own strength. No. God promises to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. God is our provider. That was true of Israel in Exodus. It is true of His followers today. It is in the wilderness we will discover God 
is our provider. The text for today is taken from Exodus chapter 16, and we will take the time to read the first five verses. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for the promise of your presence that we are never on our own, even when we walk through this wilderness journey of life. You are never pointless in the way you lead us, that everything serves a purpose, and you want to reveal yourself to us through this journey. So even now, Lord, our heart's desire is to know you more, understand your character more. So would you speak through your inspired word and bring encouragement, edify our faith, and we will experience you as our provider. We commit this time to you, Lord. Lead us today by your Spirit. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The last time I preached, we focused on the incident at Mara. The Israelites were thirsty. They were in desperate need for water. They reached Mara where they finally found some water, but it turned out to be bitter. And God does a miracle, and He changes the bitter waters of Mara into sweet bottled water. And after Mara, God leads them to a place called Elam. Elam is a place where there were springs and palm trees. It sounds very much like a, a desert resort city, like Palm Springs in California. Now, when the weather here is 30 below, if you can go to Palm Springs for a week in winter, that is an attractive proposition, right? And we get so jealous of our work colleagues who flaunt their holiday photos on social media while some of us languish here in the cold. But you can't stay in Palm Springs or the beaches of Mexico or the Caribbean islands forever if you have a job here in Calgary and you have a family to raise. It's good for a vacation, a little break from the winter, but you have to eventually come back. In the same way, God also gave the Israelites a little breather with the time in the wilderness to this little place called Elam where there were palm trees and plenty of water supply. But Elam was not the promised land. It was a temporary destination. 
God had something way better in store for his people. So they had to leave Elam and head towards the land of promise. But the path to the land of promise was through the wilderness. So they walked through this wilderness of sin, which, by the way, is, has nothing to do with our English word sin. The original word in Hebrew is pronounced sin. It's very similar to the word Sinai. Now, it's exactly a month since the Israelites left Egypt. They now walk in the wilderness, this vast and rugged terrain. And it seemed so aimless and pointless. And after a while, the people were getting tired. It says here in our text in Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Travel was hard and grueling. The future looked so uncertain. And the people of God started to look back in the rearview mirror. They conclude, hey, life was way better in Egypt. We had so much food there. A pharaoh was such a nice guy. He took good care of us. We ate steak and lobsters every day. We had Pepsi and ginger ale to quench our thirst. Oh, how we love Egypt. It's ironic how we can twist reality, how our mind can play games. It was not long ago, this very same group of people had cried out to God. They groaned in their agony over their slavery and their brutal treatment in Egypt as they engaged in some back-bending labor. And now the same group of people wanted to go back to that very place of oppression. Now that, interestingly, is not something unique to the Israelites. If we are not careful, that can become true of us today. While as Christians, we are supposed to fix our eyes on the future, what is to come, the heavenly rewards that await us, sometimes we do the opposite and we start looking back. When the Christian life gets hard, when the cost of discipleship is real, when following Jesus means you have to pay a personal price, how often so-called believers who had professed their faith in Jesus look back at their pre-Christian life and long to return to their old way of living. Quickly we forget the misery of sin, that darkness and destruction that it causes to our soul, the chains that bind us and keep us imprisoned. And we fall into this delusion that somehow life before Christ was better than what we are experiencing now. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, which is a, a classical allegorical description of the Christian life, John Bunyan introduces a character named Pliable. Pliable walks away from the city of destruction as Christian convinces him and tells him of the glories that awaited them in the celestial city. A pliable was happy and he walks with 
Christian for a short period. But then they fell into the slew of despond. And Pliable gets offended, and he's angry, and he says to Christian, is this the happiness you told me of all along? If this is what we experience at the beginning of the journey, how many woes will we experience by the time we come to the end of this journey? And Pliable is so upset, he somehow struggles his way out of the marshy pit and returns back to the city of destruction. The Israelites were acting like Pliable. They wanted to go back to that city of oppression and destruction from which they had been set free. And while in the incident that happened in Mara, we see some of the people complained and grumbled, here in Exodus 16 it says, the entire congregation murmured. And what was happening in small isolated pockets started gaining momentum and influenced the whole congregation. And what they say here is astonishing. The people say, we wish we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. And you see the irony in those words. After the Red Sea experience, when the people of God experienced His power, this is what they sang just in the previous chapter, Exodus 15, verse 6. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And a couple of chapters before that, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. In the book of Exodus, God's hand is associated with the deliverance of His people. Now, the Red Sea experience was nothing but the demonstration of God's power as He stretched forth His hand. The plagues that struck Egypt, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, the defeat of the greatest empire of the time, all of that was a result of God's hand in action. God did all of that to save His people, to set them free and give them life abundant and full. And now the same people were saying to God, we wish we had died by your hand in Egypt. That is just an indication. The Israelites didn't understand what God's power revealed about His character. And that was the purpose of the wilderness wanderings, to teach them lessons that they may know the Lord, know His character, and learn to trust in Him. Now, after that kind of accusation, you would think the ground would just open up and swallow the Israelites as God strikes them in judgment because He's so upset at their attitude. We see none of that in Exodus 16. Instead, what do we see? God's gracious provision for His people. It's presented as a total contrast to the people's attitude. And don't ever buy into this notion that grace is taught only in the New Testament. 
The Old Testament is about a God who is harsh and mean and he judges and punishes people. And then he gets a, a makeover and changes into a good and nice God in the New Testament. That is just false. Right here in Exodus, we see God's grace so vivid and crystal clear. To that kind of attitude that said, we wish we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We wish we go back to that city of oppression because that is way better than living for God. This is God's gracious response. He provided for His people's needs. Verse 4 of our text says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God doesn't let His people starve. He provides for their needs. He appears as a gracious father who loves to feed his children. And he doesn't give grudgingly. A text says he rained food from heaven. This is abundant supply. And not only God gives them bread, he gives them meat as a whole set of migratory birds, quail, come and descend the Israelites catch them, they fire the barbecue, they have a great feast. Bread from heaven rained every day in the wilderness for 40 years. It was something that they had never seen or known. So the word manna in Hebrew literally means, what is this? They had never seen anything like this. And mind you, it was no ordinary task to feed such a large volume of people in a barren stretch of land. Let me do some math with you. God told here in Exodus 16, each person should gather an omer of manna per day for a single person. Omer is, a, is an ancient a dry measurement system, and it's roughly equivalent to 1.5 kilograms. When you look at the population of Israel, you count all the men, women, and children, conservative scholars estimate they were close to 2 million people in the wilderness. So one person gets 1.5 kilograms, 2 million people, that is three million kilograms of manna for a single day. That is massive. Today, that amount of manna would require 10 trains, each having 30 cars, each car carrying 15 tons for a single day's supply. Imagine six days a week leaving the Sabbath out for 40 years. Even though God's people were walking through a barren wilderness, not one of them went hungry for those 40 years. Not one of the two million people. That is an amazing testimony to God's ability to provide. And not just that, I look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. 
where it says, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. When you are journeying through the wilderness, you don't have a wardrobe full of clothes. You don't have an extra pair of shoes. God miraculously took care of his people in the wilderness and arrested their clothing and sandals from wearing out. So in a rugged wilderness, walking on such difficult terrain, in such extreme weather conditions, their clothes and shoes lasted for 40 years. Now that is just mind-blowing. You simply go, wow. And that is written in the Scripture as an encouragement for us. For some of you right now, walking through a season, it feels like you are in the wilderness. Your supply lines have been cut off. You look all around and every door is slammed shut. Everywhere you turn, it is barren and dry. And all of your coping mechanisms work no more. You have run out of options and you're literally at the end of the rope wondering, where is my help going to come from? If you have come to the end of your resources, let me remind you today, God's character has not changed. He's the same God who took care of two million people in a barren stretch of land. This God is our provider. He will meet all of your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Right in the middle of your wilderness, God wants to prove to you that He is reliable, He is trustworthy, and He is well able to take good care of you. Years ago, Andrew Crouch wrote a song called, Through It All. The last words of the song goes like this. I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I would never know what faith in God could do. If you never had a problem, how would you know that God could solve them? You didn't know God provides until you had a financial need. And you didn't know God heals until you were sick. You didn't know God's power until you were weak. And you didn't know God can put your life back together again until you were broken. Now, are there testimonies like that in the house of the Lord where some of us can stand up and say, I had a need, but God came through for me. When you're in that place where you've run out of options and you come to the end of your resources and if God doesn't come through, you're finished, that's a good place to be in, spiritually speaking. Because that is when faith is no longer an intellectual exercise. It becomes a matter of the heart. And that is the place you learn true dependence. It is in this furnace your trust is being forged. And in this place of 
desperation and challenging circumstances, you will experience God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think or even imagine. So the whole point of the lesson in providing manna for 40 years was to teach dependence. And that's how important that is to God that we as His people rely on Him. And that explains the regulations that we find here around the gathering of the manna. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 16 to 20, we have reference to that regulation. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. See, the manna was God's gracious gift to his people. His generous daily provision for the people's needs. But this gift was not to be hoarded. The key here was to trust God for daily bread. As they trek through this wilderness, the Israelites will develop a posture of dependency. They needed to look to God alone and nowhere else. So that explains the regulations around why the manna could not be kept for the next day. Those who disobeyed learned a hard lesson. The manna kept overnight was filled with worms, not to be consumed. And you may wonder, as you read this, is it wrong to save for the future? Is God prohibiting us from that? Now, the problem here is not that they were saving up. The Bible is not against us saving for the future. In fact, when you read the book of Proverbs, it encourages us to save for the future. The issue in our text is the motive. The motive of God's people, that was the problem. They were saving up just in case God doesn't come through. It was their little creative backup plan in case manna doesn't arrive the next morning. Anything that we do that undermines our faith in God and our daily dependence on Him is not good. God's mercies are new every morning. That's the way we experience Him. Every morning, the Israelites looked up to God and He came through faithfully day after day. The only exception was the Sabbath when they were allowed to take two-day supply of manna, there was no manna provided on the day of Sabbath. And that's because as slaves, they had worked seven days a week in Egypt. 
But this Sabbath was a reminder that they were no longer slaves. That their value was not based on their productivity. They were free to enjoy a day of rest. So the rules around the gathering of manna were given to instill the value of dependence. It's another biblical principle here in this text that has to do with generosity. Now, whoever took less manna didn't lack anything, and whoever took more didn't have anything left over. Now, when we know that God is the supplier of our needs, we can be generous with His gifts. There's no fear that His supply will run out, so we're free to give. One of the reasons we don't give is out of fear that our resources will run out, and when we need them, we may not have them. When we are wrestling with things like these, we have to remember God is the owner of all things that we have. We are merely stewards who have been entrusted with the responsibility of caring for the things He's given to us. We don't own them in an ultimate sense. And when you give generously, God will replenish your resources so that you can give even more. That is a kingdom principle. The Apostle Paul actually takes this very verse in Exodus and expounds it and, and makes a, an important point on generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 15, Paul writes, As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered Little did not have too little. The Apostle Paul quotes this verse from Exodus chapter 16 in the context of Christian giving and generosity. And that's Paul's way of saying, give generously for everybody's needs will be met. Whether it is finances, time, talents, we never hoard the good gifts of God. They're meant to be employed in His service. They're meant to be deployed in the kingdom purposes. So we need to keep that in mind in how we steward all of the resources that God has given to us. Time, treasure, and talents. The last part of Exodus 16 in verses 32 and 33, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. That omer of manna in a jar served as a visible reminder of God's faithfulness. That God carried His people all the way through the wilderness and sustained them. The generations to come after will be able to look at this visible reminder and be encouraged and edified in their faith. Symbols have an important role to play even in the Christian life. They are not objects of worship, but they serve as 
visible reminders that we need to worship God, the one who is the source of all blessings. Now, in the final part of this message, I want to touch on two things that Jesus taught us. It's clearly based on the teaching around manna here in Exodus. First of all, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. That is something Jesus wants us to pray. He included that in the Lord's Prayer. Prayer for daily bread. And we here in North America don't like praying for daily bread. We would rather ask God for annual bread, bread for the next five years, daily. And that seems a little too much, right? But it is this request for daily bread that keeps our relationship with God in the present tense. And when you ask for daily bread, it's not just about food. It's requesting God daily to provide us what He knows we need. When you begin your day, you have no idea what your day holds. No idea. Oh yeah, you planned your day. You have the items in your calendar all lined up. But you have absolutely no clue what you're going to face that day the challenges that will come your way, the obstacles that you're going to run into. And prayer for daily bread is asking God who sees all things, who foresees what our day holds and provide us exactly what we need for that day. It's an acknowledgement of our weakness and our desperate dependence on the Lord. It's a declaration that God is our sustainer and our provider. We cannot live in our own strength. And when we live in this posture of dependency, we don't have to worry about tomorrow, what's coming in a year, what's down the line, the things that we cannot control. Instead of worrying about the future, we depend on God daily, walk with Him on a daily basis, be in tune with Him regularly. And guess what? When you depend on God daily, your future is already taken care of. There is no cause for any anxiety. Just like God took care of His people in the wilderness with abundant supply of manna, we can be assured that God will take care of all of our needs. When we seek first the kingdom of God, isn't that what Jesus taught us? When we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. That is yet another kingdom principle. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. We don't have to strive or manipulate in our own strength. Our God who is able, who lacks no resources, promises to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. That is a promise you can claim for today. The important thing to note here is He meets our needs 
and not our wants. Most of the time, what we want is not what we need. And God knows the difference. A need is something that is essential for you to live a life of kingdom influence. That's how I would define a need. Something that you desperately need to live a life of kingdom influence. If there's something that you need in your life to flourish and thrive, to help you be an effective witness for God, then be sure you will not be disappointed. Your needs will be provided for God himself promises that. So that is the first connection we see between what Jesus taught, the manna, and our prayer for daily bread. The second connection that we see in Jesus' teachings is in John chapter 6. Jesus has an extended conversation with the crowd after he performs the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus, remember, takes a few loaves of bread and fish and he feeds a large crowd. Jesus is feeding the people in the same way God fed the people in the wilderness. See the connection here? Following that miracle, there's a conversation between Jesus and the crowd. And this is how it goes in John chapter 6, verses 30 to 35. So they, the crowd, asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God took care of the physical needs of his people in the wilderness. And that was to serve as an object lesson to teach them dependence. That they needed God more than anything else in life. That satisfying one's physical needs alone is not enough. But every human being has a spiritual hunger, a soul craving for God that only His presence can satisfy. The pleasures of sin are fleeting. Only God can give us lasting joy. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Just as physical bread provides sustenance to our body, in the same way Jesus nourishes our soul. He offers us ultimate spiritual satisfaction and delight. A deep well of joy and abundant life flows from within us. It's speaking of the quality of life that no material things can provide. Jesus is referring to that sense of shalom, a wellness within our soul, within the core of our being that winning a lottery cannot provide. Our genuine longings are met 
as we encounter Jesus and live in perpetual dependence upon Him. I know there's some of you here, you're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. And they will only let you down. Come to Jesus today. Surrender your life to Him and be fed by the bread of life who alone can meet the deepest longings of your heart. Let me say this in closing. In the wilderness, the Israelites faced many challenges. But for every struggle and challenge that they faced in the wilderness, God came through as their provider. When they were in oppression in Egypt, God came through. When their backs were against the wall at the Red Sea, God came through. When they didn't know what to drink at Mara, God came through. When they wandered for 40 years in a barren stretch of land, God came through on a daily basis. And we read these stories and we take encouragement for our lives today that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will provide for your needs. He will come through in your life. And what we need to do is express our dependence. It's a simple but beautiful prayer. And when we pray that prayer, it delights the heart of Jesus. The prayer is, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. If we can say that from the depth of our heart, it delights the heart of God. It is the ultimate posture of dependence. I'm going to ask all of us to stand right now. If you are living life in your own strength, if you're carrying the burdens all on your own, this is a holy moment for you to release those burdens and whisper that beautiful prayer. Lord, I need you. I need you. Why don't we do that, even in the quietness of this moment? Forget about all of the burdens that you are carrying and just whisper, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your grace. I need your enablement. I need your provision. Would you come through for me? If that is the genuine cry of your heart, and based on God's word, I can tell you, God will be your provider. Let's maintain a moment of silence and ask the questions, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do in response to that? <laughs> 